Careful now. Boing. So cool to be playing vinyl. Vinyl. Took the record off the turntable. You ready for this? Welcome to Behind the Vinyl. Here's your host, Stu Jeffries. Hey, thanks for listening. This is the podcast for the music lover that needs to know just a little more about their favorite artists and songs. In this episode, Steve Earle reveals something that I'm willing to bet no one knew about the intro of his song, Copperhead Road. Bagpipe patch. It's not a sample and it's not a bagpipe. Stick around and find out what it is. Meantime, until we get to Mr. Earl, Gowan loads up the turntable with his song Strange Animal and shares a cool story about what a certain Beatles member thought of his cowbell in the song. Oh, yeah. The cowbells. The Jerry Murata cowbells. Yeah. I've heard the song thousands and thousands and thousands of times, you know, even before it came out and then a lot of times since. But those cowbells, I always make reference to them because we recorded the record. People may know it, a place called Tittnerhurst Park where Ringo Starr was living in, in 1984. And, well, we entered... We actually entered the studio on February the 7th, 1984. February 7th, 1964, the Beatles came to Canada. So 20 years to the day we entered, and David Tickle, the producer, he, he loved this song among the, among the demos that I had, and he said, I, I just think that title, Strange Animal, is fantastic, you know. And, uh, and I, you know, I agreed. I thought, well, that's, that, that's great. But those cowbells, the reason I keep coming back is when Jerry Murata, you know, legendary drummer one maybe the greatest musician I've ever been in a room with he kept playing them and I thought are we overusing those cowbells I've made reference to this before and I remember but three days later Ringo came into the studio because the studio was attached right onto the kitchen of the house and he said did everything work out the I'm not gonna do a Ringo impression because I've done too many bad ones but he said did everything work out uh, from the other day I heard you having a big disagreement in here and I thought it was sounding great I said what was that about? And he said, you kept going on about the bloody cowbells, saying, you know, the record sounds really great, but what about those bloody cowbells? And he said, well, I love them. And I thought, God, it's funny he says it now, because 24 hours later, I love them too. You know, so I had to like, I'm retracting going, no, no, more, more cowbell. It was the first time that phrase was ever uttered, by the way. So, um, and then Jerry and I doing those background vocals of the ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Yeah. Tremendous. There, there's definitely magic in this, in this song, you know, in the song, and but in the recording of it, you know, uh, David Tickle was such a, a quintessential producer in the, in the '80s, and he really understood the type of sound it should have, and again, that that, that uh, Fairlight doing the, and the Wolf Howl, those are all Fairlight sounds. Fairlight was a kind of a electronic, uh, a first computer keyboard that there ever was, sampling keyboard. And they were tough to come by. And again, this part I always en envisioned the video, so I brought props today. Because now t TV's, uh, radio's on TV now. So the original bone of the original Strange Animal video, which is basically how you could get your song heard back then, was to get it on TV first. <laughs> wow. This section of the song here, 
as as Tony Levin begins to really open up on the bass, I remember in the studio that because he was overdubbing this bass part right here, where he starts doing those slides, he was playing sitting down, and then suddenly he just he just burst up and started completely going into that whole section. If ever anybody's seen Tony Levin with uh, you know with with Peter Gabriel or with any of the acts he's ever played, he's he's an intense. Uh, individual to watch when he's playing he was so animated suddenly at this this whole section of the song and he was just I, I, I was so yes I was knocked out with it I was especially knocked out with it because in 1981 I saw Peter Gabriel at the gardens and they used to come down through the crowd and Tony went right by me I'd never met him and, and they're you know they came through the crowd and I remember putting my arm around him and he and he looked at me at the big flashlight and I said Tony, we're going to make a record one day. And we made this record together. <laughs> that actually happened. And, uh, God, this is, this is the same place where John Lennon made Imagine. He built this home studio. So there's no way I can ever listen to it without kind of getting a, a phenomenal emotional charge about the whole thing. There's Gowan, Strange Animal on Behind the Vinyl, the podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Stu Jeffries. Haka Orchestra band members Neil Chapman and Tony Duggan-Smith stopped by with their song, Listen to the Radio, along with some insight as to who one of the co-writers was for it. It might surprise you. Drop the needle, Tony. I'm dropping the needle. It's going down. Here it goes. Oh, so close. God, and yes, so, so far. So close. Wow, seems like yesterday. It is like yesterday. And a lot of... Although it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, this is. So this song was um, the, the only song that we didn't write on the album, and... Uh, it was written by uh, Tom Robinson and Peter Gabriel. And Peter Gabriel, oh, yes, two fine writers. Two fine writers, and uh, Peter Gabriel is probably uh, one of my biggest heroes in the world. And uh, the record company um, that we were with at the time, we got this record deal through uh, through uh, Norm Corbett and uh, William Ten and Frank Davies, who got us the deal with yep. Solid Gold Records. And uh, they loved the album. They said. We need a single. We need a, a single that is is not on the album yet. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So um, much to our chagrin at the time, we uh, they, they played us this, and we liked the song, and we just all we wanted to do was original music. And uh, but we we agreed to to record this after we'd recorded the rest of the album. And. Uh, we went, uh, yeah. yeah, it proved to be a blast. It was really fun. In the end, yeah. you know, and, and all the sort of thoughts of like you know, like doing someone else's work. Number one, it's a, it's actually a cool song. It's kind of the original version is pretty dark, and uh, you know, we uh, we just had a ton of fun recording it. You know, we just, yeah. we decided you know let, let's have a blast in the process rather than sort of uh, you know feeling funny about it. So mm. we did. I would, I would be curious to see how, what uh, Tom Robinson and Peter Gabriel thought of our version. Probably, I have this vision of. Of Tom Robinson coming and saying, "You've ruined our song." <laughs> yes, I have this vision of them like enjoying the royalties for years and years. Yeah, enjoying the royalties, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was a blast doing it. Yeah. We we, we did it at Eastern Sound. Eastern Sound, okay. Eastern yeah. Sound, yeah. It was in Yorkville at the time on on Yorkville, and uh, with Eugene Martinick, he uh, helped produce it. You are, we brought Yorn Anderson in on drums. Yep. Uh, Howard A on bass and uh, Dave McMorrow on keyboards. Yeah, and we played all, all the fine guitars. Musicians. Yeah, yeah, and 
uh, I think I played the strings on the piano there too. Yeah, you did some yeah. sort of thing, and yeah. uh, Dennis Akiyama was uh, on trumpet on it. He's yeah, coming up any moment. Coming up any moment. Yeah. <laughs> and, awesome uh, player. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, very fun. It was a bit of a whirlwind as well. I mean, we were sort of like you know rushing along. You know, uh, trying to get the whole thing finished and uh, doing a lot of gigging as well at the time because we'd been playing a lot all over the city and yeah. outside. You know, because uh, the live band thing was really important to us at the time. So. Yeah, we were playing like uh, the Turning Point on Bloor Street. Our first gig. Our first gig at the Turning Point, where we coined the name of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Tony yeah. got a uh, <laughs> a letter from his uh, grandfather who'd been over and we'd been in England and visited him. God bless him, and uh, and he wrote. Tony told him he was playing music for a living, and, and his, his grandfather, he's from very, you know, from you know, he was in the Punjab and whatnot. Yeah, he was in India. In India. In India, in the early 20th century. He wrote a letter to Tony and said, uh, "Dear Tony, it's wonderful that you're playing music, but don't fool around with any little bands. Get yourself into a paka orchestra." <laughs> yeah, and, which for him was like a taste and kind of style of orchestra sort of decision rather than a you know. a pucker meaning top notch. <laughs> yeah, top notch. Yeah. So. And as soon as we as soon as we read the letter, we all kind of like looked at each other and was like, "This is the perfect name." It's the perfect you know, because name because it has nothing to do with, with his intention, but at the same time, in terms of how we felt about the band, creatively, I mean, I think for all of us, it was a an, a, a magical time that the three of us had been thrown together. Yeah, with Gra Graham as the. Uh, our, our other partner in the in the endeavor, Gray Williamson, yeah. genius, yeah. genius songwriter, and uh, so when we did the song, that the, the funky guitar bit off the top, it was sort of similar to what what they had, but I, I sort of funked it up a bit, and yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, no, it had us it, it had a sort of a very subliminal sense of humor about it. It wasn't totally about, you know, uh, like the original sort of conveys the misery of East, East Germany. And this, uh, this certainly didn't. It sort of it more contained the, uh, yeah, we, the fun of Toronto at the time. Yeah. You know, so I think that's why it was also popular. Yeah. You know, because I think a, a lot of people love this song. Pucka Orchestra with Listen to the Radio on Behind the Vinyl. You have no idea how thrilled we were to have the legendary Steve Earle stop by our studios with his copy of Copperhead Road. Steve's a real straight-to-the-point kind of guy, and he knows his music and what he wants out of it. It's a classic tune with an iconic intro that, well, it isn't what you think it is. Steve explains. Bagpipe patch. It's not a sample, and it's not a bagpipe. It's a, it's a custom-built analog synth patch that my keyboard player, Kenny Moore, built from scratch. And uh, I wanted bagpipes because it sounded lonesome and I always from the time that I wrote the song just on mandolin the first song I ever played on mandolin too I, I knew two chords on mandolin when we recorded this and um, I'd gotten a hold of a mandolin a friend of mine gave me um, trying to learn how to play it and I learned how to play that and that was it and the story had been around for a while I'd been like uh, I got to Tennessee in 19... 74 and sometime in 75 I'm working at a pizza parlor in Nashville and there was a news story about a woman that had been arrested in Elizabethton, North Carolina and you know the Vietnam War is just ending and um, they arrested this 76, 77 year old woman in Elizabethton, North Carolina with this big huge 
plantation of pot in the holler in the mountains. And they asked her where she got going, you know, got the idea to do that. And so her sons had both come back from Vietnam with big sacks of seeds. And they'd been a moonshining family for a long time. They'd done this other prohibited substance that they could, that they could market. And um, they knew how that worked. The idea that that stuff that was illegal was worth more money than legal goods were. And I don't know, this record was, um, I'd make Guitar Town and Exit Zero, and it became obvious to me that country radio wasn't going to keep playing the things. Uh, my first record did pretty well. Spotty at country radio in the States, kind of every other single that was released did well. And then by Exit Zero, I was sort of the second album, I was sort of ignored. So <clears throat> I went to London, I was producing a record there, and I crashed a cocktail party where Irving Azoff, who ran MCA Records at the time, um, and uh, David Simone, who was getting ready to start running, heading up an imprint called Uni Records, and I'd heard about it, um, were having a party to launch the label. And I walked up and said, I wanted to be on Uni, and they said, well, uni's not about country. And Irving was kind of smiling as he said. He said, uni's not going to be about country. It's going to be about uh, hip-hop and, and rock and roll. And I said, I'll, then I'll make a rock and roll record. And, you know, it's still pretty country. But it's, uh, I went to Memphis to make it because I kind of had to. Um, Jimmy Bowen, who ran the Nashville division, and Irving Azoff hated each other, and I don't think, I think um, Irving protected me as much to irritate Bowen as it was actually liking me, but it did give me the, I was able to go, go to Memphis and make this record the way that I wanted to. Um, it's still a digital recording, it's pretty slick, you know, it's, it's on Mitsubishi digital tape, but it's, uh, you know, we were, um, this, Joe Hardy recorded this. He's the guy that recorded Afterburner and Eliminator, you know, those ZZ Top records. And, and he, uh, you know, it was the same studio working with those, with those guys. But it was my band as it existed at the time. I didn't have a drummer. Uh, my drummer had just left, so a guy named Kirk Custer uh, came in. He was in a band called Little America, came in and played drums. But the rest of the guys were guys from my band and a um, few guests. And... Um, I learned a lot about recording. I learned a, a lot of stuff from Joe Hardy in the process of making this record that I still do to this day. And uh, I still play the song pretty much every night because I want to get out of there alive. And, uh, you know, it's like a, somebody asked me if I got sick of it. And he said, you don't get sick of songs that sort of uh, give you a way to make a living at something that you do that you love. Steve Earle, Copperhead Road on Behind the Vinyl. That's it for this episode, but we've got lots more for you to listen to if you've got more time. We appreciate you listening and the support with shares. The more people that know about us, the better. Thanks for listening. This has been Behind the Vinyl, the podcast, hosted by Stu Jeffries. Audio production courtesy of Doug Morehouse, Derek Walsman, and Troy McCallum. Thanks for listening.